You are listening to The Mother Good Podcast, episode number 73. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. As many of you know, in addition to being a mom, which is my favorite job in the world, and also hosting this podcast, I'm an attorney, and I own my own law firm, The Carney Firm. I specialize in being general outside counsel for small businesses and also intellectual property matters, such as registering a trademark and counseling and other intellectual property matters. I love helping small businesses, and I'm also a business consultant for them as well. So if you're a mama and you own your own business, I would be so honored if you would consider reaching out to me for a free consultation. You could reach me at emily at thecarneyfirm.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at attorney Emily. I'm also a mom-friendly lawyer. Some of my clients are mothers. I'm a mother. And so if you have a loud child in the background on a phone call with me, it does not matter to me whatsoever. As long as you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. And for a disclaimer by law, I'm required to say that this is attorney advertising and also is not legal advice. Elise, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. I am thrilled to be here. I'm a longtime listener, so I am so excited to chat with you today. I'm excited as well. And I'm so glad, too, that we made it to this recording date because I know that you're <laughs> 38 weeks plus pregnant and a few few days change. And so I'm glad that I didn't get an email this morning saying you're in labor, although I'm sure you wish that you were in labor right now. <laughs> yes, we're very ready. I still have some organizing to do. So if she could give me a couple more days, that would be great. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So I'm glad that we made this recording date. And I've been following you a while on social media. And I've always just been so impressed because you run your own digital marketing agency while being a mother. And I know your husband's super busy too with his career. So I'm I'm so excited to introduce you to all of our listeners so they can get to know about you. So maybe you could just start off by talking about your background. You know, how did you get to where you are today? Absolutely. So I started Ringlet in 2017. We are a digital marketing agency with a unique approach to helping women entrepreneurs scale their business. So we do focus on women-owned businesses. And the way I got to starting Ringlet was a long and winding winding road. I studied philosophy in college. And so I'd like to say if I became an entrepreneur, anyone can because I have a background in philosophy. Uh, But the reason I studied philosophy was because I just loved people and really understanding how people think and approach the world and their lives. And after that, I went into a master's program for communications at Johns Hopkins and graduated in 2015. During that time, I worked for some nonprofits and um, was also in the startup world. I was working like three jobs, (laughs) trying to make ends meet, living between DC and New York City. And then I got engaged. And my husband and I were trying to discern what to do with our lives, you know, where we were going to settle, when we were going to get married. And I had a choice between continuing work as a freelancer and starting a company. And I decided to go ahead and start a company. I don't know what made me think I was qualified to do that, but just blind confidence in um, 
really seeing a need uh, with women owned businesses in the city. I was at in DC at the time um, where these women had amazing flower shops and they were selling jewelry and um, they just had incredible services or products, but they weren't quite sure how to scale um, and get past kind of like the friends and family stage of business. And I had a background in marketing. So I thought, why not? I could help them with specifically social media and email marketing. So I started uh, just continuing freelance in 2016. We got married in 2017. But at the beginning of 2017, I went ahead and incorporated Ringlet um, and made it official. It was still mostly just me doing work. Uh, but I had an intern from my alma mater who was very patient with me as I figured out how to run a business. And then I started to bring on some part-time employees in 2018. And um, we were able to bring on a my partner, my business partner, Claire Conway, in the summer of 2018. She became a partner in 2020. Um, and we now have a team of 15. And we are all located on the East Coast. We are all virtual right now. We work between DC, Philadelphia, and New York City. And it's a lot of fun. I'm working from my new house. We just moved <laughs> about a month ago. Um, I now actually have an office, which is exciting. Um, before I was working in the family living room. And yeah, it's been, I, that's like the very high level journey. Of course, there's been lots of ups and downs. We survived a pandemic. We've hired and fired people. We've navigated difficult client relationships, uh, but all while really focusing on our why, which is helping women find financial freedom through business. Mm. I like that why a lot. And I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that because as you know, that a lot of companies in America aren't very mom friendly, you know, it's Mm. more centered around a man who can go into the office and doesn't have all the childcare responsibilities. And so I do see a lot of women trying to start their own businesses or running their own businesses, Mm. just one reason so they can have that flexibility, right? So they can have, you know, be at home with their kids more, be a little bit more present to their children, and then still bringing in some sort of income. So I really like that. Um, you mentioned that you had a background in marketing. How mm-hmm. how did you get interested in that aspect of it? And what what is your background in it? Sure. So yes, I switched over from um, education and philosophy to education in communications and marketing. I really had no idea what I was doing when I chose marketing. <laughs> I wasn't really sure. I knew that I wanted to work in a creative field, that I wanted to work in relationships. However, um, I had a really difficult time finding my path. I ended up stalking women on LinkedIn <laughs> that I knew were within my um, network and I looked at their resumes and their education and I said, what, you know, I really admire what they're currently doing. Let's backtrack and see what their education was, what de- uh, degrees they had, what um, experience and work they had. And I just reached out to them and really interviewed a lot of at least, I think, 15 women that I, they very generously gave their time to helping me figure out what aspects of their own career that I really admired and what I could take from their experience moving forward. And I decided on digital marketing. Hmm. I like that a lot. And 
I like that you also have said that you really didn't know what you were doing and you just kind of went with it. I know that a lot of, for a lot of people who I have spoken with, that one thing that holds some people back who really want to start a business or, um, you know, not even necessarily start a business, but maybe just kind of start a hobby or a side hustle, something like that, is that they don't really know that much about the field. But from what I've, um, from speaking to women who do own successful businesses, that the vast majority of them really didn't know what they were doing before they got into it, right? Um, and that's something that's that's very impressive, just kind of like learn on the go and, you know, done. I think that what's the saying is like done over perfect or something like just get it yes. done, like valuing getting something done over being perfect, that that's mm-hmm. more important. And that seems to be a common theme with not just women who own businesses, but honestly, like most people who I've spoken with. Actually, now I I was just telling Elise before this recording that I'm not a morning (laughs) person. And so we're recording this in the morning. And so if I'm kind of like scatterbrain, I have had one (laughs) cup of coffee. You're doing great. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, as I'm talking, like, oh, that reminds me of this. And so hopefully it's not too scatterbrained. No, <laughs> but I appreciate the candid conversation. <laughs> a, a few months ago, I was actually having a conversation and I didn't even know it um, with this woman. And it wasn't until after the conversation that my husband, he's like, oh, do you know who that is? She and her husband run so-and-so. It was like this really big um, local corporation. They do oh, wow. very well for themselves financially. So I, she was just, she was very nice. She was an mm. older woman. So I was chatting with her. And she, cause I, you know, I have my own law firm. And so I was just kind of connecting with her on how we both run our own businesses. Not that I was comparing them at all, but obviously like just trying to pick her brain. Uh, and she just was saying how, yeah, we just went where the clients were, you know, even if we didn't really know anything about this particular line mm. of business, then if a client needed that done, then we would become experts in that field. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. Figure it out. uh, Become experts in the field for that client. And obviously like I didn't, I didn't know who she was until after I was talking with her. And then once my husband told me, I was like, oh my gosh, if she and her husband can just figure it out as they go and they're so successful, then that's kind of, you know, should be the poster child, right? Like I can do that. You can do Mm -hmm. that. Why why Mm -hmm. can't anyone do that? Right. Um, Again, like it's, it's, it's not like she was being um, negligent about it either, mm-hmm. though, because they became experts in that field. But anyone can become an expert. They put in the work. Field with it. Yeah, if, if you put yeah. in enough time and research and education and all that. So anyway, I just when yeah. you were talking about that, it just reminded me of that conversation. Oh, um, yes, and the, that's how great. It to be a common theme, right? Yes, when I'm talking to women who are looking to start their own business. I really love to communicate that they belong within the space of business. I think sometimes we have this idea that being a business owner means striving to be on the cover of Forbes or reaching a, you know, a million bajillion dollars in revenue and having all these employees um, and this very traditional view of business. And right. what I see happening um within a lot of women um, who are online right now is this revolution that Ringlet is trying to help lead um, towards breaking down that barrier to business that Mm -hmm. even if you are 
selling on Etsy or just, you know, I hate using the word just, but um, just you opening your website to sell locally or going to your local marketplace and selling jam that you're making that all of that effort is worthy of being poured into that it's um, worth spending your time on because it's cultivating your own gifts and talents. It's helping you become the person that you're meant to be. And that doesn't mean that it's not valid because it's not making you a millionaire. (laughs) We like to say at Ringlet. Yeah. We like to say at Ringlet that not every woman needs to be um, this, a CEO, um, but she can have a very successful business. Yeah, I agree with that. Because I mean, even if you think about it in terms of raw numbers, um, in addition to the fulfillment that you were talking about, because a lot of people who do start their own businesses tend to do it in the field that they're most passionate about. Mm-hmm. But aside from being fulfilled in the passionate part, if you just put a dollar figure on it, right, just think of maybe there's a stay at home mom, and she doesn't have to produce any income, but maybe her passion will make 50,000, maybe it'll make 100,000, maybe 150,000. Like, extra a year isn't a millionaire, but I don't know a single person that that wouldn't make a significant difference in your life, right, from a monetary aspect. So that's something that you don't have to, I don't know, I I guess in our culture that I've noticed from when I was very young is it seems like a lot of people don't think something is worthy unless you're going to be like the best at it or Mm -hmm. if you're going to change the world, like kind of be the superhero type mentality. Mm. Yes. And that's something that I struggled with initially in my career because going into law, obviously there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, they just, they're very idealistic. Right. And so when you try to transfer the ideal to the practical there's a lot of times a lot of disappointment, right? You think in your head, well, I want to be the lawyer who changes all the laws and makes them all yes. better. It's like, well, like realistically speaking, there's not <laughs> really anyone who can do that, right? So, yes. Just, there's so, there's then, merit to being um, really good at what you do and striving for excellence without having right. to... Um, put the pressure on yourself to be the top of your industry or to seek out these accolades that in the end, um, you know, I would rather have a really meaningful relationship with my daughter as opposed to, I don't know, being on the next 30 list of 40 under 40 or something. Um, And I think just really understanding where our values lie, help us to navigate um, our careers and understanding where our efforts and energy needs to go. Hmm, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I recently just discovered too, most of those magazine covers and all those lists, they're just bought with a <laughs> yes. PR person. So I'm like, okay. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yep. It's not like you yes. made it necessarily just because you're on the cover of something. It just means right. you need someone to be on there, right? Right. Uh, so what do you tell women who do struggle with that? Because it sounds like you're pretty well versed and, you know, not being half, basically like telling women that they are worth it and they don't have to be at the top of their industry. Like, how, what's the pep talk you kind of give to women? Mm. What is the pep talk that I give myself? <laughs> so I try, I try to, to, I give it to other women, also myself. Um, well, you know, I'd like to start by saying I'm really interested in, the history of feminism. And I think 
we are seeing right now this new fourth wave of feminism, especially after the pandemic, of women seeking integration in their lives. They're realizing that a very traditional nine to five job maybe doesn't align with what they want for their family and for their lives, um, doesn't align with their values. And they are wanting to show up with their full femininity. And that means that they want to have kids. They want to be able to take their kids to school, but they also do want to be able to go on those um, work trips or to have a really fulfilling career. And I think one, the internet has been really helpful in making that happen. But working from home, I think as moms that we've realized through the pandemic, it's also still challenging. You know, going into office sometimes sounds very luxurious to me because I get to be in a quiet cubicle or <laughs> a quiet desk without kids crying outside my door. Drink your um, coffee without your kids trying to fill yes, it, right? Still exactly. hot in the office. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so it's we're at this like really interesting precipice of women on like reevaluating what work means to them. And if you are looking to start a business, um, the pep talk that I would give is just to have confidence that no one really knows what <laughs> they're doing. Even I've worked with really high level business owners, people who have national brands and they all have shortcomings. No one knows all of the answers. And so having confidence is so much easier said than done, but having confidence in the gifts and talents that you're offering through your services and your uh, products, know that it's needed in the world. And it's worth, uh, as we said before, it's worth pouring time and, and effort into. Right. I love that a lot. And then you can always find your niche too, right? It's mm-hmm. not like being the best is so hard to quantify or qualify too, because it no one can be you, right? So mm-hmm. the combination of you plus your talent is very unique. And maybe someone just might prefer working with you because of your personality or how right. you approach everything. So no, I, I exactly. definitely think that's really true. Well, I wanted to go back a little bit um, to how, you know, you managed to do all of this because <laughs> you kind of glossed over it a little bit yes. in the beginning. And I know that I'm just so, cause I've been following you for a while. So I know how impressive you are and how oh, much thank you. you've had to put effort into all of this. Uh, your husband, he's <laughs> went to law school during all of this too. Like, how did that all work? He like did. explain how you made that happen. Sure. So just to break down the timeline a little bit more, I started Ringlet in the beginning of 2017, as far as incorporating goes, as I mentioned, I was doing freelance work before then. Then my husband and I got married August of 2017 and he had been teaching previously Um, before that. He actually continued to teach full-time during law school, but then um, started law school a week after we got married. So we bought a house, started law school, and got married all within the same month, (laughs) 2017, and just dove right in. Um, And I have to say, we, we were married for three and a half years before we had our first. Um, And that time really did allow for me to uh, get ringlet to the place where it is now. Um, I developed a lot of relationships because he would teach during the day and then drive to school. Um, he went to Catholic university of America for law school at at night school. Um, he would 
get there at like 4 p.m. and then be there till eight or nine at night. I then had the evenings to myself to work on the company or to go to happy hours to meet clients or to go to events to, um, you know, talk, bring it up. So that was a very fruitful time. Um, We were both working really hard. um, And we just knew that that was a season of life where um, we maybe didn't get to see each other a ton. We actually spent the most time together during the pandemic when we were both working from home in 2020, which was nice. Um, And then we had our first in 2021. It was March. um, And it was definitely a transition. I think (laughs) we were both 30 when our first was born. And I was blessed enough to have an amazing team um, where I could take time off from it. So I took about three months off and was definitely checking in here or there with uh, my investors and with my business partner. But for the most part, I really was able to step away from work and spend time with my daughter and adjust. And of course, it sounds cliche, but everything changes when you have a kid. (laughs) And so I really had to reevaluate how I wanted to work. Uh, once I had Rosemary in, in my in my sphere in our lives. Um, and I have still been working really hard. I don't like I wish I had some formula. I think a lot of moms um, wish that you know, we have we'd have this like perfect formula where it's, you know, 20 hours a week, working, and then you get to spend time with your kids. And then you or you have a Um, someone who helps clean your home or you have a nanny. And like, I would love that if someone could be like, here's the help you need and here's the hours and like all of it will work together. (laughs) It'll all be easy. But it's not as moms, we know that. Um, And we know that our kids are constantly changing. So we've had, excuse me, we've had to really evaluate our work every month, how Rosemary, it depends on how Rosemary's sleeping, um, how she's eating, like how, you know, there's just, if I'm pregnant or not. Um, So that has been, I think probably one of the bigger mental, um, mental works, mental load that parent of parenthood that I didn't expect, which was like constantly adjusting schedules and, Mm. um, our focus as a family month to month as our, our daughter has grown and as um, I got pregnant and, you know, have been growing our second daughter. <laughs> so it's a long tangent, but I feel like I, you know, I could talk to you about this uh, for a while. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like it was easier to evaluate your workload because you do own your business? Mm. Yeah. I, th- I think as a business owner, you have this duality where I can have more flexibility because I can go to a doctor's appointment at, you know, 2 p.m. on a Thursday. But then I do have to really focus after I put Rosemary to bed to get other work done. Um, And as a business owner, you have the pressure of running payroll every two weeks for other people. So we, as mentioned, we have 15 people on the team um, and I really take their livelihood and their well-being into, um, you know, just thinking about that a lot into, into consideration. So there is a lot of pressure as, as a business owner um, to take care of your team and make sure that they're okay, but also 
yeah, there's, there's definitely beauty in, in having that flexibility and setting my hours. And I, you know, I decided that I wanted to take those three months off that that's why I created this business. Um, so that I could have that flexibility for maternity leave. Um, and now I'm taking it two years in a row now. Um, and I have another team uh, yesterday was actually or the same team, but my team again is going to be stepping it up while I'm on maternity leave. Yesterday was my last day working uh, before going on maternity leave. So we are moving ahead and they are ready to go. I have full confidence in their talent. And that's been a real blessing to see. One of the um, my favorite things as a business owner is really being able to cultivate my employees um, and their gifts and their talents and seeing them grow as professionals. Mm-hmm. I saw a meme recently, I think it was, you know, you quit your nine to five job to own your own business, and then you work 24 hours. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. And it's we're definitely entering a new season um, where I have been working a lot in the last year. Um, but I am very well aware that after had this new baby's born, I'll have two under two, and I will really have to evaluate um how I'm working. And I feel very lucky that I have that space to figure that out and to craft that for myself. You mentioned some help or you were saying that it would be easier, but obviously I agree with you that it's, you know, there's no, like, I don't know, there's no map or blueprint (laughs) for motherhood, especially like for each individual person, because it's so different. Mm -hmm. Um, But have you, have you noticed anything that has helped make it easier? You mentioned having help or, yeah. or maybe having help. Yeah, definitely. Stepping out of that traditional business model where I think we, at least I grew up with this mentality that I, I come from an entrepreneurship <laughs> family, focused family, entrepreneurship family, um, where it's like you, this is your business and you grow it and everything lives and dies by your success. And I really had to shift that mindset to, it is my company, I'm the founder. However, um, this really is my team members company as well. My success is their success, their success is my success. Um, And it takes, yes, it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to run a successful company. So um, Ringlet is as much of my company as it is my employees. And it has really been really beautiful to see that when you ask people to step up, they usually do. And it allows them growth in their own per- personal and professional lives. And I've seen in my own personal life, the beauty of having uh, Rosemary is how much my family members love her and just seeing them blossom as people as they've fallen in love with her and interacted with her. And I do have help. So we I I always like to say that because um, I think women should talk more about childcare. So we are very lucky that uh, my cousin started watching Rosemary when she was two and a half months old. Um, So that was like mid June of 2021. And she is with us three and a half days a week. And then I also have my mom close by um, and Hunter's aunt is my husband's um, aunt is also close by. Um, He did graduate law school, by the way. (laughs) I forgot to mention that. Um, So he he graduated last year. (laughs) 
<laughs> he graduated last year and we actually just found out this past month that he passed the bar uh, for Maryland. Oh, nice. So we are yeah, we're yeah. done that journey and then he will transition to a new, a new job. But all this transition um, has been, we've just relied so heavily on family. Um, mm-hmm. And I have had to take a deep breath and kind of learn some humility in allowing other people to take over tasks um, in my life that I normally would love to be the only one who's folding laundry. I love the only, to be the only one who's cleaning up my house. Um, but we also have a wonderful um, cleaning lady who helps us with those tasks. She's a family friend. Um, so yes, I am an advocate for receiving as much help as your budget allows for. Um, and it's really been amazing to, to be in relationship with everyone who is helping us. I think the more vulnerable I've been with asking for help, the more that I've grown in relationship with those people I've received mm. help from. And there's been a real beauty in that. Mm. I like that a lot. It's funny that we all feel guilty about having that help and Mm. asking for it when really, I mean, I don't even know where to begin on this. I feel like this could be an entirely different podcast episode, but (laughs) whenever people have like the traditional, the quote, traditional mom in mind, right? It's mostly American base. It's American Mm -hmm. um, kind of pioneer woman type who does it all herself. Mm -hmm. And that's not how it is in the rest of the world. And it's not even really how it was before the pioneer type woman, right? It's just as you said, it was a village. And when you go to a lot of other countries and cultures, it still is a village. Like I know a lot of the Asian cultures still have that village, you know, the, the, like the individual family units, they live with their extended family members, their, their grandparents, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes aunts and uncles. And it's not shameful to have all that help. It's just a way of living. And that's really how all of humanity has been for thousands of years. But I think we just kind of get stuck in our own bubble of oh, well, you know, the pioneer American woman could do it when, you know, she was moving out West and she just did it all, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, but that's a very narrow part of history. Mm. Um, so anyway, I know that's like a whole nother tangent. No, but I, don't I know. know why that's <laughs> always like the quote, air quote, like traditional woman. I'm like, um, I mean, that's one type of traditional woman, mm. but... Yes. And that only really began in um, the 1950s. So those less than 100 years ago, I think a lot about my great grandmother on my mom's side, her name was Elizabeth, she had three boys and three girls. um, And she did have a lot of help. She had, um, I don't know, like, she had a nanny, she had a housekeeper. um, And it was not seen as shameful (laughs) that that was happening. It was just a recognition that this is what it takes to raise a family. Um, And I don't know why that recognition went away (laughs) Um, or that it became shameful to need help. Um, But I, I really would love to bring that back into our cultural (laughs) zeitgeist of we just recognizing it takes more than just one mom to raise a whole family, to feed everyone clothe everyone, bathe everyone, make sure that they're emotionally um, stable and doing well and educating them. Um, It really does take so many people to accomplish that. And one of my favorite books too is um, Kirsten Lavin's Daughter. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or read it, but- What is it called? um, Kirsten Lavin's Daughter. Um, Oh, no, I have it. Yes. 
um, was written by Singrid Unset. And um, it is about a woman in the, oh my gosh, in Norway. I'm not going to real in the Middle Ages. And she has seven boys and she, it's just a beautiful picture of, it's it's, it's amazing trilogy actually. Um, mm-hmm. But while she's raising her seven sons, she has is farming and runs a business and um, is taking care of her sons, but she also has a ton of help. And so, oh, wow. um, yeah, women from ages and ages ago were always working, right? Women have always been working in some capacity. Um, it's very strange, actually, that like we've siloed work and staying at home as a culture. Like that is not what um, cultures have done in the past, even American culture uh, or cultures around the world of like you're you're either working or you're not working. Like every woman works. It just looks different from right. season to season and for individuals and families. That just reminded me of a quote that I posted on Mother Good. I think it was last year. It's from a, a book by Carolyn Perez called Invisible Women. But oh, yes, there, there is no such thing book. as a woman who doesn't work. There is only a woman who isn't paid for her work. Mm-hmm. And I really like that a lot. And um, I don't know, it kind of reminds me too. not not to get like too controversial, but uh, <laughs> you saw our post last week on, yes. on motherhood just basically quantifying what goes into motherhood just from a purely monetary aspect and you know I I'd love to explore that topic you know there there seems to be this divide between women who do stay at home right and then women who don't stay at home obviously like the whole working mom versus stay at home mom thing but then also like quantifying what women do that it's not and I mean, in, in my opinion, it's not devaluing it, right? It's just kind of translating what a woman does into dollar figure, because that's how our economy operates, right? Mm. Our whole economy is based on money, GDP, like that's how we measure everything. And I think just reckon, trying to put a dollar figure on, on work that women do or unpaid work does just I think is important just to highlight, look at all this work that, mo- that women are doing to, to quantify it, but not necessarily to say that that's the only value in it but I don't know if you right. have any thoughts on on that well I do know that you have thoughts on I do that. <laughs> I was gonna say I do and not, and and so I'll start by saying my mom was a stay-at-home mom of uh she had four under seven I'm the oldest um I have two a younger sister and two younger brothers and I would be lying if I didn't say like I am definitely trying to navigate how I will raise my kids while working. It's just, it's not like I have it figured out. As I mentioned, it's different from season to season because I saw how much work and how much effort and um, just love was poured into me and my siblings by my mom. Um, My dad, as much was an entrepreneur and um, was working a lot as a lawyer. He has his own law firm. And so she really was home a lot with um, four kids and she did a phenomenal job. Um, So I really believe like, excuse me, that thanks um, drama of a pregnant lady. (laughs) Constant constant hydration. I know. I feel like I'm reliving the last few weeks of pregnancy. (laughs) Being out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Moms are like the foundation of the economy. (laughs) of culture. Um, yeah. There's so much that we, not only do we 
you know, birth children, house children in our bodies, birth them and then raise them. Uh, but we also are the ones usually who are keeping the household going. I have to say, my husband is fantastic at um, splitting household duties with me. We have a very open communication style when it comes to um, what needs to get done as a family, as a household each week. And we usually split up which what needs to happen. Now, that does not mean we keep tallies of like, you know, we don't have a scoreboard and it's like at least one, Hunter one. Um, but it's an, ebb, it's an ebb and flow, obviously, right now, because I'm very pregnant. He's doing a lot a lot of the housework and a lot of laundry and a lot of kid um, watching. So I'm grateful for that. And this is not a putting down of men. <laughs> However, this is just recognizing that over history, as you said, women do not usually, uh, there's not value placed on women's work in the home because it is not evaluated to a dollar sign. And I think it is important to do that, not necessarily that to reduce that work to a number, but however, to just shed light, as you're saying, on um, how much work and effort goes into it. I think I, I, <laughs> I calculated one time my mom's, uh, what my mom's salary would have been over the course of <laughs> 20 years of raising four kids and being the chef and sh- sh- chauffeur and doing laundry <laughs> and housekeeper. And it was like in the millions. Um, yeah. cause that's what I, and, um, it's just amazing to see that. And, you know, there is value on those, you know, they're seemingly small tasks, like, putting a baby to bed or soothing someone in the middle of the night. But those are the foundation of raising humans and humans that then do turn around and contribute to the economy and um, to our society. I, I could talk, like I've said, we could talk about this all afternoon. But. <laughs> I know. I feel like this could be like a whole nother episode. I feel yes. like I have so many thoughts on it as well. But I, I mean, I guess uh, one analogy that I can think of that, is the closest to motherhood is basically like if you think of a gorgeous, beautiful church, right? Because I know a lot of people view, mm. um, and I do too, as as um, motherhood is sacred, right? It's a sacred uh, thing, and and so is a church, right? And if you say, oh well, this beautiful cathedral cost ten million dollars to build, you know, just as an example, it's like, are you saying then like? oh my gosh, you can't put a price tag on a cathedral because it's (laughs) sacred, right? I'm like, okay, no, that's just one part of the cathedral. It's like Mm. a a fact. It's not the fact, right? Like, let's go inside the church. Let's look at it. Let's admire how beautiful it is, right? And I I guess I just feel the same as motherhood. It's like, you, you can say, well, this is what the price would be. But again, that's just one aspect and mm-hmm. you could view motherhood as kind of like a rainbow, right? Well, that's like one shade color right. of on this whole beautiful rainbow. It's not t- trying to reduce it to that, but right. I, I think we're just yeah, right. we're just calling for a more holistic view of motherhood. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. exactly. That's a perfect way of of putting it, like more holistic view. So, um, I know that you mentioned too a little bit, and I know we're sort kind of getting on a tangent, but I feel like at the same time it is related to everything that you do since you do help women own businesses and you do help women primarily and you know you're navigating this personally with you having your own business so I, I feel like it is pretty relevant I know that, that you mentioned a little bit earlier in our episode about the history of feminism and it's how it's there's a new wave of it 
Mm-hmm. Now, I always get a little bit iffy on talking about feminism because <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning of our episode, we have very different listeners to this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, just full disclosure. So we have like some very, uh, like a lot of our listeners, like, I, I don't know, I think it's probably pretty split. Like a lot of our listeners on the are on the far left and a lot are on the far right, like politically. <laughs> and then same with, you know, religious beliefs. Like we have a lot of like Christian and Catholic listeners. And then we also have a lot of secular listeners. And I think it's so beautiful that all of us can come together and find commonality on these issues. Right. So I know that, you know, some of us consider ourselves a form of a feminist, you know, um, like myself and, and you, it sounds like. And I know some of our listeners are like, I don't like feminism whatsoever. So I guess, how can we find this commonality for the feminism aspect or maybe reframing it? Because I know in our minds, having this conversation about helping women is a very feminist um, part of, well, it's a part of feminism to us, but for someone else, it might not necessarily be a feminist part. So I mean, how can we find commonality between um, maybe someone who doesn't necessarily identify themselves as a feminist, but then saying like, this is really important for the dignity and humanity of a woman as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I identify as a Catholic feminist, which might sound um, impossible for many of you. But to look at the history of feminism a little more to explain where I'm coming from, the first wave of feminism took place around 1850 to 1920. And that really emerged out of an environment of the urban industrialism and socialist politics, it included the women's suffragette movement, um, as women gained the right to vote in 1912, 1920. Those women were very pro-life. They were really focused on um, providing more of a more resources to women, more resources to mom and they moms, and they really saw the right to vote as a major push um, needed in order to provide them with those resources. Um, and then in 1960s, 70s, of course, we have Gloria Steinman and Bella Abs. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce her name uh, correctly. Ab A B Z U. G. Um, she they founded the National Women's Political Caucus in 1970. One. Um, so that's where, where we really see this sexual revolution coming from. Um, and I think that's why a lot of conservative women, they when they think of feminism, they think of that time period where, um, you know, there's a lot that happened there. <laughs> I won't go into. Um, but it definitely did bring women's sexuality into a different light than um, for better or for worse than was previously in the um American culture. And then in the early 1990s um, and late 80s, that's where um, feminism really focused on um, sexual harassment in the workplace and a shortage of women in power. And that's what I really think of when I think of feminism. That's the closest to me in age. You know, my, my mom lived through that. Um, but she often, my mom, as a stay at home mom, often mentions how difficult it was for her when she was at a party or um, some event where a working woman would, you know, kind of look down on her if she said she was a stay at home mom. Right. I think that movement really did a lot as far as um, helping us increase our hourly rage, uh, wage as women. Um, but 
it really divided women. I think um, that you're, that's where this divide came from between working quote unquote working moms um, who are working outside the home and stay at home moms. And now we're in this fourth wave that people debate when it started, but around like 2005, 2007 with the me too movement taking off in 2017. But I really like to point to the launch of Girl Boss, the Girl Boss movement, movement um, that was launched by um, Sofia Amoruso, uh, who is the founder of Nasty Gal, which was a clothing company, um, and her book Girl Boss was published in 2014, and it was the first time that a woman came forward as a founder and loved pink. <laughs> and she oh, yeah. really brought her femininity forward into the business world. And she no longer was wearing these pantsuits, but she was wearing really cute leather jackets and skirts and people, and she was running a multi-million dollar company. Now, you know, there's, there are several things that went wrong with the girl boss movement, mostly the exclusion of minorities. And we saw the crumbling of a lot of those women owned unicorns um, over the last 18 months. Um, specifically, actually, I just found out that um, Emily, oh my gosh, I'm gonna forget her last name, but she was the um, founder of Glossier. She just stepped down as CEO. Um, oh, wow. And there were several other um, CEOs that step, and founders that stepped down, notably the um, founder of The Wing. Um, and a lot of these women were being called out because they had not made their businesses and workplaces as inclusive as they could have. Mm-hmm. And so now we're, we're in the wake of the fall of the girl boss, where women, as we've talked about, are saying, like, I do not want to be on the cover of Forbes. Maybe I don't want to be working 80 hours a week. I want a more holistic and integrated lifestyle. Um, Mm. I've heard this from women who are moms and women who aren't, um, but they do, as I said, want to bring their full femininity into the workforce. I've seen one of the really interesting calls that I've seen is um, to give women the ability and space to work around their cycles each month um, mm-hmm. for them to like be able to take off without um, a deduction of pay when um, you know, they're, they have their period or feel like they need to take off because they're not feeling well. Uh, but you just recognizing the need to integrate um, more feminine um, approach to work in not only entrepreneurship, but also in uh, the more traditional workspace as well. Mm. I know that's a tangent, but <laughs> that's, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's, yeah, it's no, it definitely did. I, really I had no idea me. about that whole um, history, including mm. like the most, I mean, I heard about girl boss a little bit, but I didn't realize that um, about that aspect, but I have noticed recently that there's been more a push towards not women not trying to be a man, but right. being a woman in their own out, you know, in their own um, right, like being a woman and then having integrating work and life and family and seeing how it looks as a woman, right? Not being defined as basically like the, I'm, well, I'm sure I think um, you mentioned, uh, sounded like you had read the Invisible Women um, mm-hmm. book. But basically not being the default man, right? We don't have to right. put ourselves, we don't have to have that shoe fit. We don't have to try to force ourselves into being that default man that we can 
try to explore what our lives should look like as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. I once had a mentor say to me, I want to, you'd, and he was a man, um, so he's very much um, ahead of his time. But he said to me, I want you to bring your full self, your full femininity, your full womanhood to work. Mm. And that was so empowering because I felt like I did have the freedom to say, oh, I'm going to be late to this meeting because my one-year-old is just not going down for her nap. Or, oh, I'm, you know, I do have to be off video for this call because I'm taking it from bed because I feel sick as I'm pregnant. Uh, or whatever it may be, I think, uh, yeah, we are really as women calling for more freedom and space when it comes to um, being our full selves in the workspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that so much that that, that is the move, the movement right now. And it makes it tying back to basically what, what you do as your business and what you've done personally in your life. Um, it just connects all the dots to me <laughs> because it's showing how you can integrate everything and then make it work for both you and, and your clients. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know that um, I'd like, I'd like to say too, I have, um, I don't show up without an understanding of my privilege um, as a white woman who grew up middle class and had the resources of going to college and grad school and family help. Um, so I don't want to come off as a solution for everyone um, because I know that not everyone has access to those resources, but um, that at Ringlet is our focus with it's giving the women those resources um, who may not have access to them. I love that so much. Um, I mentioned it and before we hit record that I kind of wanted to get a little bit into how finding your identity, which is sort of what you do, well, not sort of, but what you do with your business. <laughs> yes. Um, and translate that into motherhood. So maybe, oh, mm-hmm. there's a mom listing. Maybe, you know, maybe she doesn't want to start her own business, doesn't want to start her own side hustle but maybe she can incorporate some of these elements into what is your identity as a mother, right? How to reframe your identity, maybe even rebranding yourself Mm -hmm. as a mother. And I think it really incorporates into our idea of there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one because not each of us are unique. Our life circumstances are unique. We have our own unique personalities and our children and how we mesh with our children and our spouses and what kinds of work. I mean, it's just, like every single person really is a snowflake in the sense that they're very unique, right? And mm-hmm. um, how can some moms listening who maybe don't want to start their own business, but they're trying to brand themselves as a mother, um, maybe what are some tools that they can use to do that? Absolutely. So the one question that I have found really powerful in my own motherhood is how do I want to show up as a mom? I think as women, we are so focused on serving others, which is in our nature and makes sense as a mom, that sometimes we lose focus of who we are. That's easy to do, right? I think I've gone through that process at least five times last year. Um, But it is worth taking a half hour of quiet time to, I know that's hard to come by, uh, but taking a half hour to reflect on that question of how, how you want to show up as a, as a mom and also setting some goals. I think that was really powerful for me. Um, even at the beginning of my career was setting larger goals for myself, for our family, uh, and knowing our values 
to help us guide those goals. So for example, my husband and I, one of our values is community. We really value relationships. We want our kids to grow up within a larger community um, and feeling like they have really strong relationships surrounding them. And so one of my goals um, this year was just simply to meet um, a handful of more couples. And again, that is a, a whole year. I gave myself a whole year. This is not like a to-do list. This is not um, a KPI, but it is um, setting very simple goals for you know six months to a year um, that align with your values as a mom and as a family to help you stay focused on, you know, it is so easy to just get <laughs> focused on the grind. Um, and you just get worn down by breakfast and the playground <laughs> and lunchtime and then nap time and changing and, you know, and then repeat. Um, so taking time to really step back and reflect on your current season of motherhood, because as we've said, it's always changing um, and setting some goals for yourself um, and reflecting on how you've grown. That's really taking stock of maybe um, what you think you have grown in as a mom, uh, skills and virtues that you've developed, but also where could you improve um, and what you want to work on as um, a wife and mom moving forward. Mm, I love that so much. That leads uh, very well into the last question that I know that you're familiar with that I always ask all of our guests, which is one is an example of a time that you realize that it there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Yes, I think the times that I have realized that is when I give myself grace to just be and accept the situation as is. As women, we really tend to place a lot of pressure on ourselves that I should be doing XYZ. I should be able to keep a house completely perfectly clean. I should be able to stay up on laundry. I should be able to cook an amazing meal. Um, and sometimes, and most of the time, all of that does not happen. Um, this comes most into focus for me when I'm usually on a business call and I don't have help around and I am watching Rosemary and I have to let her um, destroy the kitchen or um, <laughs> watch some TV or take apart um, the toy bin and just create chaos. And I just have to like sit there and breathe through it and be like, yep, I'm just going to focus on this call, focus on making eye contact with her as much as possible, trying to do two things at once um, and just accepting, accepting the moment, accepting the season and not putting uh, blame or shame or pressure on myself to have it any other way. <clears throat> I think someone recently um, told me that, you know, you only have the the toys, like the toy bins and all that <laughs> for really like the first, I don't know, maybe five to eight years of their lives, because then mm. after that, they don't really play. I mean, they still have their toys, but not like, you know, all those little kid toys. Yes. And then that really made me sad. And then appreciate know. the toys, you know, <laughs> you're only going to yes. have those toys for a short period of your of your life, and then you're going to miss them. So that's a good perspective. That's good for yeah. to have. I love that so much. Well, thanks again, Elise, for coming on our show. I'm so glad that we can make this happen and that you made it. <laughs> to our <laughs> Thank recording you. Date. And now you can have the baby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. I know. I was like, girl, just hold off until the Mother Good podcast. Yes, hopefully she'll give us a little bit more time. Um, and then we are 
We're ready to go. Well, ready to welcome her. But thank you so much for having me, Emily. This was a joy. Yes. Thank you so much, Elise. I really appreciate it. <laughs>